All right, good morning. It was so good to see you here this morning. Thanks for coming out. If you're a guest, thanks for spending a little bit of time with us today. Despite the chilliness, it's going to be a nice day, I think. I'm uh, happy today. I've got all three of my daughters here. It's a rare occasion anymore. Uh, so if you want pictures, um, just come up to the front. And my son and kind of a fourth daughter here, my niece. It's a family row right over there. Thank you so much, all you girls, for being here with their mama. Well, we're continuing through our <clears throat> study in the book of James. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone or wherever you get your Bible reading, find James chapter 3. <clears throat> James is a great book. I don't know if you've enjoyed this as much as I have, but it's very practical book. It's not a book of theology. It's a book of practice. It's a great book. It's, it's a good book for beginners. James, of course, was written by the brother of Jesus, his half-brother, and he was a very influential leader, became very influential in the early church. A skeptic at the beginning, but after the resurrection, he became a very uh, passionate believer in his brother as as the Lord. He wrote this book to er the earliest Christians. Most people believe this is the oldest book, at least the earliest book in the New Testament. And he had one main truth to share, really. If we could sum up everything about the book of James in kind of a, a, a slogan, it would be this. If Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life should look different. You get it? Agree or disagree? If Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life should and will look different. And, that, you know, James kind of hops around from topic to topic. We've looked, uh, you know, it, that Jesus will make a difference in how you handle bad news in your life. If you, if you have a trial or a temptation or trouble, and I'm not talking about the, the, the little eensy-weensy uh, first world troubles that we have. I'm talking about serious problems. If Jesus has made a difference in your life, then when you go through hard times, your life will look different, look different than your neighbor, those who don't believe in Jesus. It makes a difference when your faith is put to the test. Your, uh, your faith will work. This is called faith that works when, and today is when you live God's way, it, it makes a difference in how you treat your neighbor, whether they're rich or poor. Remember that passage where a rich man came into church and a poor man came into church and there were some believers who gave the rich man the best seat and asked the poor man to go stand in the corner or sit on the floor. And James says this shouldn't be the way it is. It makes a difference. Last week we looked in how you talk. Any of you bite your tongue this week? If you did, you get a pat on the back. So if anybody is nodding their head or raising their hand, if you're sitting next to them, pat them on the back and say, good job, and then ask, did you draw blood? Because if you draw blood, you should get two pats on the back. Because we saw last week that if your faith has made a difference, your language will change. Your language will change. How you talk to people and how you talk about people will change. Someone asked me this morning about my grandmother's saying. You know, my grandmother, she was legally blind uh, the end of her life. 
in the last several years of her life, but she had poetry and, and Bible and all sorts of things hidden down in her heart. And uh, somebody asked me what that saying was that she said that I shared with you last week. And here it is again. I didn't get it early enough to put it on the screen, but you probably can Google this and it'll come up in some way. She always said, if wisdom's ways you wisely seek, five things observe with care. To whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and when and where. And so that's good advice. That's good advice. You should uh, write that down if you're writing things down on the outline. But really, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life will look different. That's what James is saying. Now, we're going to move on down into chapter 3 today, on down into the middle part of chapter 3. And this is expository preaching. I don't always do expository. Expository preaching is when you go to a text and you let the text determine the topic. So whatever the text has to say, that's what you say. Topical preaching, which I often do, uh, topical preaching is you find the topic like sin or something, and then you go all over the Bible. You might find one text that that uh, says, you know, what you want to say about sin, but you can use the whole Bible. We'll be going in different places in the Bible. But initially, when, uh, when I was studying this uh, book in order to get the topics and the titles, you know, I like to get those out in advance, months out in advance. And also, I don't know if you know this, but if you go to our website by using that QR code on the back of the chair and you go to the sermon, you can find the outline and you scroll to the second page of the outline, then you can see the topics for the next month or so. And if you're a serious student of God's word, you might want that so you can study ahead. Well, this topic today has changed. When I initially read through and tried to break the sections up and put titles to them, I thought it was going to be a faith that works when you're unselfish. But as I was studying over the last week or two for this message, I realized that this is a bigger topic than just being selfish or unselfish. It's really bigger. It's really about living God's way about living God's way. And of course, if you live God's way, you'll be unselfish, right? So if Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life is gonna look different. And that's what James was saying. James didn't have Paul's letters to bounce off of. James didn't have the gospels, had not been compiled yet. I'm, remember, James was the first book, the oldest book, older than the gospels, older than the book of Acts, older than Paul's letters and all the other letters. So James didn't have the benefit of reading the Apostle Paul's works. All he had was the Old Testament, his Jewish faith, and now this new belief in his half-brother as the Lord, as, as the Savior, as the Messiah. Now, James no doubt was around when Jesus was teaching, and he probably took his own notes. He might have been able to write his own gospel. He didn't write a gospel but he wrote a letter, and when he wrote a letter, it was the er this was the earliest letter. A lot of people have trouble with James because James focuses on behavior. It focuses on what we might call works. It focuses on deeds. Some versions say deeds, works of faith and deeds. This is all James knew. You know, the Jewish faith was a, a faith of deeds, the faith of works. That's what they did. They were obeying the law. 
And Christianity, in a lot of ways, was like the Jewish faith. It was uh, an extension of the Jewish faith, but it was a whole new deal now because Jesus, who was Jewish, came to fulfill the law. He came to say, you can't keep the law. You can't be good enough. You can't obey enough. So there's this thing called grace. And James uh, was told by his brother, Jesus, I believe, I went to the cross. You saw me die there so that you, you, you don't have to keep every jot and tittle. Those are Jewish uh, parts of uh, punctuation. You don't have to keep every little law in order to make it to heaven. You, you just have to trust me. Nonetheless, your life, when you trust Jesus, still looks different. Agree or disagree? Absolutely, it should look different than your neighbor or your friend or coworker or somebody in the world who doesn't know Jesus. <clears throat> so, this passage, we're actually going to go through chapter 3 into chapter 4. When James wrote his letter and all the writers of Scripture, they didn't put chapter numbers. They didn't put verse numbers. They just wrote a letter like you might write a letter or like you might used to write a letter, like you write an email. You, didn't, you don't say, typically you don't say number one, number two, number three. And so I believe that the first uh, five verses of chapter four really go with the end of chapter three. Let's read it. Starting with verse 13. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And now let's move into chapter 4. He says, what causes fights? You know, he's just talking about peace. Now he's talking about fighting, conflict. What causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from your desires that battle within you you desire but do not have so you kill you covet but you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask god when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? And that's the reading of God's word. So when we look at this passage, to me, after I looked at it uh, uh, again, it's pretty clear what's going on here is something more than just being selfish or unselfish. It, if you back up a little bit and look at it from a, you know, a high angle, 
you can see that what James is talking about uh, is two ways of living. He's talking about living two different ways, two very different ways. They stand in stark contrast to one another. For instance, they are so different that there's no way you could claim to be living one way and produce uh, fruit or, or, or uh, reflect living the other way and someone would be confused. I mean, there's no way you could do that because someone would say, no way. You say this, but your life says this. And so this is really uh, God's way or the world's way. This is James. This is James. It's early. He's saying, look, our lives have changed. Jesus changed my life. Jesus changed your life. So my life looks different now. Whole new set of values, a whole new set of goals, a whole new set of motives and purposes. And so um, someone said, uh, you know, there's a West African proverb that the man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it would real quickly become impossible, wouldn't it? Some of you uh, may be uh, athletic or you might have been a cheerleader or something and you can actually do a split. And, uh, and, but that, that's as far as you can go. You couldn't walk that way. So this is the contrast between two ways of life. That's what James is talking about here. Now, to help you see the difference, I've put it up on the screen this morning, and I want you to, uh, I want you to see the words that have just been plucked out. They've just been plucked out of the, uh, the text here, all right, or phrases. This is the world's way of life. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, boastful, denying truth, earthly, unspiritual, demonic, disorder, every evil practice, fights and quarrels, desires that battle within. You desire, but you can't have. You kill and covet quarrel and fight you don't have because you don't ask or you ask with the wrong motives self-pleasures adulterous enmity against God friend of the world enemy of God these are all words or phrases just plucked right out of the text right out of what we just read and and here they are put lumped together put all together to describe what James is saying, this is, this is the world's way of living. Now, let's look at the opposite, the contrast to that in the same text, God's way of living. He says, God's way of living is wise, understanding, good life, deeds done in humility, wisdom, heavenly, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere, peacemakers, sow in peace, harvest in a harvest of righteousness. 
Now, let me ask you a question. If you were to see these two, I couldn't get both of them up there together or you wouldn't be able to read the print. But imagine these two lists together. Which one of those lists would you point to and say, that's me right there, that's what I want. That's what I want. I don't want this list, I want that list. Now, I'm gonna make a big assumption here that all of you, mainly because you're here this morning, all of you would point to the second list, to God's way of life, and you would say, that's the life that I want right there. I don't want this life. I don't want demonic. I don't want unspiritual. I don't want earthly. I don't want uh, fighting and quarrels and no peace. Because that's what the world gives. That's what the world gives. No, I want, I want peace. I want good fruit. I want good life. I, I, I want... I want a harvest of righteousness. I want a harvest of righteousness. And, and as you get older, you know, as you get older and you start having kids and grandkids, then it, what you want is you want a harvest of righteousness. You want to know that your way of life that you chose, which is God's way, is paying off. And your kids and your grandkids are learning the ways of God. Agree or disagree? Agree, that's exactly what we want. Now, why does James make such a stark contrast between these two ways of life right here in this text? Well, I'm pretty sure, you know, mo most of the Bible, uh, especially the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul, you can, you can see this, and if it makes sense if you think about it. Most of the Bible was written to address a need, or a problem, or an issue. You know, you read 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is a, is a book full of issues that, was, that were going on in the church at Corinth. I mean, this church was so messed up. They were, they, were, they were really just having so many problems. And the apostle Paul just wrote him a letter and said, you guys got to get your act together in every single area and just go through. They had a guy living with their, uh, with, with, with his, uh, his stepmother in, in a sexual relationship. They had Christians suing one another. There were, uh, there were problems with men and women in the church. There were problems with, with the, the miraculous spiritual gifts. People were saying, oh, look at me. I speak in tongues. I'm better than you. There was problem after problem after problem. So Paul wrote a letter to address it. And then most of the letters that were written in the New Testament were written in response to a problem. So we have to assume, and I think we have pr probably some uh, good ground to stand on here, that this was going on in the earliest church, this kind of behavior, that there were people who were saying, yeah, I want, I want to live God's way, but whose lifestyle said something totally different. Remember last week, the end of the text last week where James says, can you get, can you get um, fresh water out of uh, a salty ocean? Something like that. Or can you, do, you get, do you get salt water out of a fresh spring? Do you get grapes from a fig tree? Do you get figs from a grapevine? 
And he was, he was, uh, then he was saying that this, is, this should not be the case. You who have Jesus in your heart should not utter forth profanity and cursing with the same tongue that you come into church with on Sunday and bless God and sing his praises. It ought not to be. If you got a filthy mouth on Saturday, don't bring that filthy mouth in here on Sunday. But here's the case. You got a filthy mouth, and you might use it to bless, and you might use it to curse. That shouldn't be. And I like to say if it's not in there, it won't come out of there. If you got a problem with cussing, you got a problem with profanity, you need to get it out of here. You need to get it out of here. And so that's, that's what James is saying here. He's saying, look, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life will look different. So for so many of us, our life doesn't look different. It looks like the world. It's exactly like the world. And we live in a time, the, the wealthiest time in the history of the world. I mean, the, the, the common person here in this room and in our community here, I'm just talking about a, a, you know, a middle a middle-income person, we are richer and live more lavishly than kings and queens lived 500 years ago. I'm talking about all those great kings and queens who had to use a jar to go to the bathroom, who couldn't take a shower, a nice hot shower, oftentimes who couldn't go to a refrigerator and get out a, a, you know, a, a, a pitcher of iced tea or a, a homogenized milk. You understand, it's tough for us today. On the other hand, we have so many blessings, so many benefits that we, we should be praising God every single second because it could be a lot worse for us. It's, it's, it's not easy for people in 2023, especially in 2023 America, to live God's way. We, have, we fight this. The, but the world's way versus uh, the God's way is there's, there's no doubt what you would choose. World's way of life is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. There is disorder in every evil practice. God's way is pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, and sincere. You can see how different these are, can't you? There's no way that we could make a mistake by looking at your life, which life you've chosen to live. So it's very simple. If you're living a life with Jesus, practicing a faith that works, then you're going to have peace and you're going to have fruit in your life. You're going to have a harvest of righteousness. Let me, let me share how this may be playing out with you. Remember the word disorder? God is a God of order, not a God of disorder. Paul says that he's not a God of confusion. He's a God of clarity. God is a God of order, not disorder. Do you have, here's how this may be playing out with some of you. Do you have unresolvable conflict with some people in your life? Are there people that you just don't get along with? You just, you, something happened, something was said, something was done. It's been unresolved. If so, that's evidence of the world's way in you. That's what we call relational disorder. Relational disorder 
is stressful, isn't it? I mean, especially if it's someone close to you. It's hard to live in relational disorder. It just gnaws away at your heart. Are you living with bitterness or resentment or jealousy or unforgiveness in your heart for someone? If so, that's more evidence that you're living God's way. I mean, the world's way, not God's way. That's not peace or peace-loving or peacemaking. That's what we call emotional disorder. Emotional disorder. If you're bitter, uh, if you're harboring bitter envy, that's what the text said, or resentment, or jealousy, or unforgiveness, that's emotional disorder. Are you living with huge personal financial debt? I mean, are you the kind of person that gets whatever you want, and if it means flipping out the credit card to get it and paying for it later, then if that's you, I'm suspecting that you're living in a lot of financial disorder in your life, juggling money to pay bills and hoping the check gets in there in time and holding off this bill, and, and, but you, you, you got the big this and the big that and the shiny those. At the risk of upsetting someone here, maybe, maybe not, or maybe somebody will watch online, let me add one for our culture. If you have inner turmoil about whether or not you should act on same-sex attractions, or if you have turmoil about whether or not you should act on your same, uh, uh, um, whether you should act on your, your gender dysfunction, that's the best way I could think of to say it. If, if you want to change who God made you to be, I think you're experiencing a lot of psychological and identity disorder. Now, I don't know if you agree or disagree with me, but that's what I think about it. If you, if you uh, engage in sexual activity beyond what God designed for marriage, then you're probably in a lot of sexual disorder. If you're battling an addiction in your life, you want to quit, but your brain won't let you. That's what drugs do. That's a mental disorder. If you're trying to quit, but your body won't let you. You know, different kind of drugs affect different parts of the body. They all affect the brain. Then you're in physical disorder. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not saying these things like I have no disorders. Because we all share a disorder, don't we? It's called a spiritual disorder. Because we're all sinners. We are all sinners. And the natural way of humanity is disorder. Some people say that, uh, uh, you know, that the, the world and everything is getting better and better and better. And they go, oh, climate change, or the, this is happening and that's happening. Well, that's the way of nature. It started with order. God created it in order, created it perfect, and then things started to unravel. Atheists say, no, it started in disorder and came to order. That's what atheists say, that life somehow sprang out of the goo and became you. You see how the world's way is different than God's way? God's way 
when he made nature and humanity, even you and me, if we leave things alone, if we don't go to the gym, if we don't exercise, we don't eat right, if we don't do the right things, we go to order or disorder? Disorder. That's why we have doctors. That's why the medical field is so flourishing. But the fix for this, there's one fix. And by the way, I've been in physical disorder for the last two or three weeks. I've got this, this pain in my lower right back, and it's moving down into the soft tissue there, for lack of a better way of putting it, and even around into my hip. I think it's a sciatic nerve problem. And so uh, I've been in some physical disorder over the last two or three weeks. Anybody? Anybody over 50? Uh, yeah. You don't even have to have that. You just can be over 50. And you got that. Right? And if you're not over 50, you'll get there. Hopefully you'll get there. I hope you hurt there too one day. <laughs> just for a few days. Just for a few days. I don't want to wish ill on you, but I want you to be able to appreciate your neighbor, understand the pain. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a problem going on. We have, we have disorder in our life, and sometimes that disorder is because we li we're living in the world, and we're living the world's way. The Apostle Paul dealt with this, uh, this battle Romans chapter 7, this is a lengthy passage. Let me just jump right into it. Paul said, we know that the law is unspiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not, the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For if I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This, is, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. You see, Paul's... I want to do good, but I can't do good. I'm doing the bad. You know, this battle in my heart, this battle in my flesh. Listen to how he finishes this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law. I want to do the right thing. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now we're getting to the antidote. Now we're getting to the, to the answer. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's the fix for our disorders? Jesus, God's way of life. You see, if Jesus makes a difference in your life, then your life will look different. Look at James 4, 1 and 2 again. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill, you covet, you cannot get, so you quarrel and fight. You know what? Some things are going to change in your life when Jesus makes a difference in your life. First of all, your desires are going to change. Your desires will change. 
If you grow close to Jesus, Bible says take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, but the desires will change. You won't want what you used to want. You won't, you won't have to want what you want in secret or behind uh, you know, a, a, a wall or in a dark corner. You can want good things. Your desires will change. If Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life will look different in your desires. Your motives will change. James says their motives were selfish. He says most of the time you don't even ask. But when you do ask, you only ask so you can have what you want, so you can please yourself. Those are the wrong motives. Proverbs 16.2 says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Here's some questions to help you know if your motives are right. If no one ever knows what I'm doing, would I still do it? If there was no visible payoff for doing this, giving, serving, sacrificing, would I still do it? Would I joyfully take a lesser position if God asked me to? Am I doing this for the praise of others or how it makes me feel? If I had to suffer for continuing what God has called me to do, if I had to suffer to continue it, would I still do it? If others misunderstand or criticize my actions, will I stop? If those whom I'm serving never show gratitude, they never say thank you, will I still do it? Do I judge my success or failure based upon my faithfulness to God and what he's asked me to do or how others perceive it and how I compare myself to them? Look, personal enjoyment and vacations and toys and winning a competition, they're not wrong in and of themselves. Motivation becomes an issue when we're not honest with ourselves about why we're doing what we're doing. When we give the outward appearance of obeying, but our hearts are hard and selfish, God knows this. That's why Paul says we need to walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because if Jesus has made a difference in your life, what? Then your life will look different. Finally, your affections will change. James says anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You can't do both. You can't run with both crowds, can you? you? You can't be a friend of God and a friend of the world. If you're a friend of the world, you're not a friend of God. If you're a friend of God, you won't want to be a friend of the world. And so that's what James is saying to these people. You claim to love God, but by your life, it appears that you're in love with the world. We read our focus verse about the world for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I think you could lump all sin together in those three categories. All of these things comes not from the Father, but from the world. Husbands and wives, can you imagine your spouse coming home one day and says, uh, uh, honey, I love you. I love you, I really do, and I don't want to leave you, but I, I met someone at the gym. I met, I met someone, and, uh, man, I'm really attracted to them. But I love you, and I don't want to leave you, but I just want you to know I met someone. How would you feel about that if your spouse came home with that? 
Would you say, oh, okay, it's okay. As long as you still love me, that's fine. If you want to love them too, that's, that's okay. Just schedule your time well. No, you wouldn't say that, would you? That would be terrible. That'd be terrible. That's the path to adultery. That's the path to adultery, and that's what's happening every day in our culture. It's happening physically, and it's happening spiritually. That's what we do when we come here every Sunday, and we say, God, I love you, and I I don't want to leave you, God, and I, I say amen, and I raise my hands, and I praise the Lord. But I got this thing out there on the, in the afternoon and, and uh, you know, on Tuesday night and uh, on Wednesday night and Friday night that, you know, I love that too. I love that too. And I know you two won't get along, so I'm going to try to keep you separate. And I'll give you Sunday morning and a little bit of time during the week, but I want, I want this too. You see how that happens in our life? And so we need to pray that God would change our affections he would change our affections deuteronomy 4 24 says for the lord your god is a consuming fire a jealous god not jealous in a bad way but because god put that spirit in you that's what james says he jealously desires to have that spirit back in communion and in worship with him and so The question is, has Jesus made a difference in your life? If Jesus has made a difference in your life, then what? Your life will look different. Would you stand with me and let's pray. God, thank you for making a difference in our life. Lord, we battle, we struggle, we every day we fight the the battles within and without. uh, Some of them are are, uh dark battles some of them lord uh, would would pull us down and destroy us and some of them god we could flirt with for years and never be caught but god we know they're all immoral and unhealthy for our relationship with you lord we're all in the same boat here and i pray that you would help us to choose to live life your way to do our marriage your way, to do our relationships your way. May our speech, may our actions, our behavior, may our business, may our school, may everything we do be done your way. Make that plain to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you want to know what your next step is,